Hey guys, welcome to Content Candy's new, new show. It's kind of an old show. It's uh, Cinema Bias with myself, Video Drew, and Alex Mack. Please enjoy. Check us out wherever you can find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, what have you. Like and rate and leave a review. That's like a thing you can do on podcasts. And make sure to also check out patreon.com backslash video drew to find out ways that you can support this channel, which is growing. Okay, end of thing. lyric right now if i start mm. singing part of moana right now will i get flagged as a video maybe you maybe. might okay mm. well you're welcome youtube you don't have to hear that uh hi guys <laughs> hello <laughs> hi guys hey i'm alex mack and we are going to be chatting about a very important movie before we kind of dive into what movie we're choosing or who our awesome guest is tonight or what this show we're is what the show is? Oh, this is Cinema Bias. This is Cinema Bias. This is a movie where we watch movies and talk about movies that really, really challenge us as movie viewers, as a movie critic, and, you know, kind of find out what it is about our personal biases going into and exiting these movies that really kind of does it or not does it for us. And I'm here with the ever lovely, ever stupendous Miss Video Drew. Hey, girl. Thank you. Hey, hey, girl. I would say that's a very fancy way of saying this is a show where we watch movies that we don't want to watch or that we've somehow missed. Yeah. Uh, and this week, is a, <laughs> this week is a special one because this one we were supposed to do last week and it was too grim. Mm -mm. Yeah. It's almost like there was a lot of stuff going on in the United States at the time or something. Almost like, something, almost like something was keeping us from keep keeping us from watching Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men, uh, dystopian, <laughs> dystopian, futuristic uh, movie that I've managed to avoid my entire life because it looked too grim. Yeah, it's a, this is definitely a movie. We're going to dive into a lot of specific details from the movie. Um, but before we kind of go into that, we are going to be inviting on an absolutely wonderful uh, patron tonight that actually chose this, chose this movie for us to watch. It is, hello, it is Rob. Yeah, let's bring him on. There hey, we Rob. go. <laughs> it's Hi, Mark. Rob. Hi. How's it going? It's going great. How are you? Doing good. Thank you so much for being a patron of uh, for Video Drew, obviously in Cinema Bias, and you chose this movie, Children of Men. So definitely before a chill started, movie. Though, before we get started, though, guys, uh, the Streamlabs is open tonight. Uh, Streamlabs.com backslash Video Drew. If you want like a schmobot voice, like a creepy schmobot voice, to come and say things, if you have some thoughts, opinions, or just want to give us a tip. Uh, feel free to do that over on Stream Stream Labs, uh, or you can you know super chat us, uh, and we'll be like discussing stuff. I think we were talking about some goals to set tonight. So if you guys have any ideas for goals, I think last night I told a bunch of stupid stories, uh, but we'll see. We got some we got some shots that we could do. We got some stuff. Get drunk on it, camera. My mother's so proud. Okay. We got some ideas, y'all. We got some ideas. Um, now, we are going to be diving into the movie Children of Men. Like I said, it is a patron pick from our dear patron, Rob. So thank you so much for choosing this movie. Thanks for being a patron. But can you tell us, just going to really start off with this, is tell us what your bias is towards this movie, towards Children of Men, directed by Alfonso Cuarón in 2006. What drew you to it? Mm -hmm. Well, my buddy saw it in the theater. He's one of the only people to see it in the theater. 
Uh, he came to me after, you have to see this movie, you have to see this movie. I'm a big music fan, and he knows that there's a scene in the movie that uh, plays a King Crimson song while driving through Battersea Station with the pig flying over it. So sure, I said, Jack, okay, I'll watch the movie. And I was not disappointed. Like the, the movie is, uh, it draws you in in the first three minutes. I didn't even remember about the song until it started playing. Oh, first three minutes of this movie is brutal. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, about this though, before we get too much into the plot of this, oh my God, did Ferris show up? <laughs> oh my God, Ferris! Ferris giving us a huge donation, guys. You know what I'm gonna have to do, Ferris? Now I'm gonna have to change the donation limit again so like we have more now. So while I do that, how about Alex? You tell us why you've avoided seeing this movie. And then we'll do a, we'll try, me and Alex are gonna try to recap the movie in 60 seconds before getting mm -hmm. onto our conversation. Absolutely. So, um, oh, my bias. Why, 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 why didn't you ever see this movie? Was this just not something you were interested in, or? Mm -hmm. Well, I when I, I okay, thing is, I am thirty years old right now, and this movie came out when I was fifteen, sixteen years old, <laughs> and it's definitely not like a chill, you know, like young adult rom com situation. You feel me? Okay, and so this movie is a, it's really dark, has a lot of dark themes, and mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's, it talks about a lot of real world problems themes of immigration darkness um infertility um you know having hope having faith having hatred of everyone and everything of, or a lack of hope and faith essentially and Maybe that was it crying. yeah yeah but that overall essentially though those were a lot of themes and movies that I was not actively looking for it seemed a little too dark for my taste given my age at the time I was still feeling pretty edgy discovering the movie Alien all on my own. <laughs> wow, that is it. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like 13. I was like, I'm still cool. You know, you feel me? I'm still cool watching Alien, discovering all myself. But as a result, though, um, so this catching this movie, I, it just never came up. And I'm actually really, really sad because, considering it's from a director that I really, really enjoy. Alfonso Coron. It's Definitely him. Not it's him, the guy who did the Revenant and uh, Guillermo del Toro. Mm -hmm. That make like the three. They're like the three bandits or something. They're like they, they call themselves like a trio of something. I forget the, the three name. Mexican bandits of the Oscars. Something like that. <laughs> something like that. Um, okay, I guess I'll get I'll go before we get onto uh, us trying to summarize the plot. I had seen the opening of this movie, and I did was like hashtag triggered. Like nothing about these kind of dramas appeal to me. Like these these very like dour like things where like you're, you start out bad and you know it's not going to be a movie where things get like very much better. Like it's I don't like movies with a lot of accidents or car chases or mm -hmm. explosions. I especially don't like movies that have those things and then are also really like sad and aren't like fun like you know Fast and Furious movies. Uh, so this movie I knew it was important and I knew I maybe seen like the opening scene of it. I remember like the explosion. And I knew Michael Caine was in it. I knew Julianne Moore was in it for a hot minute. And the big part about this movie that was like such a big thing was that like nobody famous at the time was in it. But Clive Owen was not that famous. So mm -hmm. nothing about this movie like ever spoke to me. But having watched it on election night, I can like say 100%. Uh, nothing about this movie uh, speaks to me. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This movie's actually great. I just watched it on election night. I would never suggest that. Uh, we were gonna we were gonna go through with it up until the point I think where I was watching it and getting really upset and Nerd Chronic was like maybe you shouldn't 
can do this tonight. And I was like, maybe you shouldn't do this tonight. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't. So I'm really glad that we get to do it the next week and that this week is looking a little bit better. So really excited. So Alex, how about we try to do the thing that we do where we put up uh, 60 seconds on the clock. And I, I'm really excited. Actually, Alex, I'm gonna let you take this one. 60 seconds no, on the clock. No, girl, uh-uh. I've been doing it for the last like, four times. Girl, I've been doing it for the last four times. You're just trying to dip out, okay? Well, I see you trying to. Mm -hmm. President Espresso. Uh, just as far as you get. <laughs> it's actually, he's he's actually trying to get a triple espresso, okay? Yeah. All right. Okay. Al, Al's like, so All he's, right. uh, yeah. he's, he's Ooh, married okay. or he was. Okay, you're going to do it. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Let's, Ooh, okay. Let's on. do this. It's going. Um, okay. Oh, it's going. It's going. Okay. Okay. So, well, already. Okay. So, Clive Owen, essentially, it takes place in the in London, 2027. So, the near future. Okay. The world has gone to shit. Okay. There is pollution everywhere. But also, um, people have somehow magically uh, stopped having kids so the people are just became somehow become infertile and so it's become a huge political issue there's a lot of religious groups that are like blaming mankind saying you know this is the reason why we're doing it is because we are we're okay we're cool with this and you know there's a lot of religious views coming out anyway coming down to it so this guy named clive owen Yep. You know, this guy named Clive Owen, he's actually yep. the ex, uh, ex-husband of, of a domestic terrorist. Anyway, they get together. The, he ends up, she's like, hey, I need some papers to get this uh, little Mary Magdalene situation across state. And he's like, sure, bruh. And he takes her over there. He's like, whoa, you are actually pregnant. Crazy. And so he takes her over. Everyone that surrounds them dies while he's taking her over there. And he's like, oh, my gosh, a baby is born. And I'm the new Messiah. And he dies. Wait, what? Wait, <laughs> what? Wait, I think you saw a different movie than I just saw. What happened in that third, in that last second? He's the new Messiah? Is that what happened? He dies. He's like, he's. Is that what happened to the. He's, that what happened to the. He, he, no, I, I watched this and I was like, this is a completely symbolic moment. He ends up becoming this, like, he, he doesn't so much become um, a messiah of specifically, but he definitely becomes a, uh, he definitely becomes a, a person. He He's almost like the, where he becomes more of an idea rather than a person. He is completely uh, motivated by this idea. And he, 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 his whole purpose at that point is just to save this woman and save the yes. baby. Fair. He's that completely selfish in that moment. Hey, As a result, in the chat, though, in the chat, if you think that this totally. movie ends with Clive Owen, a guy named Clive Owen, that would be the guy's name was. Tell me, okay, tell me, I'm wrong when I say he and it ends up becoming a really symbolic moment tell me that people will not look at his sacrifice as him what saving this woman and child and it's as like as a very biblical jesus-like moment did jesus he be have a kid he will go down in history as yes. a man that saved the baby, the holy baby. Okay, that's that's why I say maybe not a messiah of sorts, but he is definitely gonna have a, like a very biblical. Yes, I agree Memorial. with you there. I, I agree with you there. Uh, I'm gonna fill in a couple little gaps here. Uh, no, I nailed, I nailed it. I nailed it. I nailed it 100. percent Rob, Rob, you agree with me, right? You were so close. You were right there. You're right yes. there. Right yeah. there. Uh, uh, he is not himself a domestic terrorist. It is his ex-wife. Uh, they have lost a son mm -hmm. together. Uh, it's mm -hmm. the ex-wife is played by Julianne Moore, and she was supposed to be like the big thing that made everyone come to this movie. But she dies fairly early on while working with Chiwetel Ejiofor, 
uh, who turns out mm. to be the bad guy. He's the leader of this group called the Fishes, which is a cool name. Uh, and yeah, they find out this chick's pregnant. And for some reason that, uh, so Julian Moore dies in this car accident after they're ambushed by uh, this roving gang. It turns out that, that he's, uh, Chilte has uh, orchestrated that because he wants to use the child as a bargaining chip uh, against the authoritative figures. It's actually this huge, huge commentary about immigration policy because the entire movie is just like anti, like it's just like how that government has become so anti-immigrant because for some reason the only country that's like survived all this badness is like London. So there's all these immigrants in cages from every part of the world. And Chiwetel, as part of the group, wants to leverage the fact that this woman's got her, the first pregnant woman in like 18 years. Because uh, mm -hmm. the movie starts out with the with the the youngest boy in the world who was like 18 years old dying because somebody stabbed him for not giving an autograph, and that gives you a sense of what this movie is going to be like. Uh, so he helps with the help of Michael Caine, who I guess is not his father, but like it's it's really, he's not his dad, right? No. That's, okay, so his old friend. Uh, who whose pictures are plastered with just like him and like Julianne Moore. Like this old guy just has pictures of this other dude's family all over his house. Uh, you know, he helps them escape. They end up getting uh, they end up getting into a prison. They break into a prison so they can catch this boat that's supposed to be from this group called the Oh, what is the, the group human something. The human something the human the human project. Yeah. The human project's boat is gonna come to this prison. For some reasons, so they got to break into the prison with the help of Sid, a guy who only talks in third person. Uh, and there's a whole big shootout, blah, blah, blah. And then, yes, they escape on a boat. It turns out Clive Owen was shot by Chiwete. He, he teaches him how to burp the baby. Uh, and then he dies. And the boat's called Tomorrow. It's yes. almost like tomorrow is going to save us. Yes, it's almost like there's a tomorrow. Let's see. So what, what are we missing? Symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely it's definitely a movie with uh that's not that's like that that's something I actually really appreciate about this movie that there's you know the the it's not shying away from a lot of the darkness throughout this movie. And let's face no. it, it is a dark it is a very dark movie. Now uh, versus you we get a lot of movies, more so now more than ever, we get a lot a lot of movies like Black Klansmen or um or uh I'm trying to think of other dark movies. Well, I'm trying to think of another movie that's, that's, that's this dark. I, I'm having a hard time thinking of a movie that's yeah. this dark. Well, yeah, I well, it's like, like when I think of Blade Runner, that kind of just sort of dystopian mm -hmm. movies, just like yeah, this. yeah. Blade Runner well, works. A, I think. Go yeah. Ahead. Well, there's a lot of darker movies, but there's a uh, in those darker movies they like to lighten up with moments of comedy, or just sometimes they like to where you're like you can have a breathe a sigh of relief, you know, at some point in the movie, you know, a Schindler's List, you know, like you Schindler's can, List. There you it's, go. It's, it's incredibly dark. It's incredibly dark. It's incredibly graphic and sad and terrifying and realistic. However, there are these random little moments of comedy and there's moments of relief at some points where you can take a breath. And this movie, it is like pure anxiety. It is like watching that movie Uncut Gems. I was like yes, the entire one. time. <laughs> the road. The road. Oh my yeah. gosh. But it doesn't shy away from, you know, really putting the audience Spotlight? on the edge the entire time. Spotlight's like that, right? Moonlight, Spotlight. All, like, the dramas are like that, I feel That's like. Not, I, don't, I don't feel like Spotlight. Like, Spotlight's the one with, like, Michael Keaton and Richard oh, Adams. 
I, I meant doubt. I'm sorry. I meant the other priest one. Oh, yeah. I actually, yeah, that's one that was pretty dark, too. Um, yeah. This movie is really depressing for a lot of reasons, not only because it came out in 2006 and it managed to predict a lot of, like, I feel like stuff that we have anxiety about, uh, not just the fact that the immigration stuff is so on the nose that it might as well just be like, nah, America, careful. Um, but also the way that it deals with bureaucracy, the way it deals with the idea of fame. The idea that the youngest kid in the world would be stabbed to death because he refused to give an autograph. Like, perfect. What they do with the bond, I don't know why I put food in my mouth right before I decided to add a thing to say. The thing with the bond, the movie starts out with this horrible bombing that like Clive Owen orders an espresso, walks down the street, the, the place explodes, and everyone just kind of brushes off and goes about their day because it's become so commonplace. Really predictive of like the mass shootings that we were dealing with when we were allowed to go outside. In the book. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, there's a lot of very real terror that's really focused on domestic terrorism, um, you know, especially from that was uh, started, especially in the US in particular, and as well as the UK in the early mid 2000s. And that was reflected in a lot of its uh, films as well. Um, you know, Rob, I know you, you said you were over in the UK. Uh, around this time, is that right? Well, I was in I was in London in 2005 when they would have been filming it. Mm -hmm. I didn't call them or anything like that, but uh, uh, everything looks like it did then. The only you the only reason you'd have any reason to believe is 2027 is uh, the billboards are different because the only thing they I think he tried to make yes. it even though it's in the future so close to what we are now. Yes, uh, like it's not like a, it's not like they did with the Jetsons, for instance. They have no, they have no tech. I noticed that too. They have no tech. Like no, they have no tech that's different than our tech. The only thing mm -hmm. that I notice is uh, the uh, speedometer on the car is on the windshield, which is probably something that we have today. But that's really cool. Wait, it, I don't think we had a Note Six though. Right, but, and the cars. The, like the only thing that was different about the car is maybe a sharper edge. Mm -hmm. That's as far as they were going. They weren't. Uh, they weren't going that everybody has laser shoes. Mm -hmm. They didn't no. have like uh, 3D hologram phones. And they, no. didn't, they didn't draw your eye to any of that. The one thing we do learn in this, in this movie that they do have is the government gives you uh, poison. <laughs> they give you, in case you want to commit suicide, the uh, government just like rations out poison. Quietus. Quiet. But they also outlaw marijuana. No, no, no. Craziest fucking yeah. movie, this thing. This thing is the, really the darkest timeline movie. It, it's really, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a definitely a weird movie. There's a lot of, I don't want to say inconsistencies, um, because it doesn't. It, it, there's a, like a lot of weird moments like that. Um, but also the entire time I kept thinking, well, if, if the, if suddenly the planet is stopped to the ability, it was, like became suddenly infertile, where kids just started dying under the age of five unanimously or you know whatever well, it be not, it, i am really go ahead sorry well i mean because i know they mentioned like several a bunch of kids died but i mean but the thing is but i'm really um surprised that they were like well we have no way to populate the planet or keep it going so let's kill a bunch of people if they want to well, it's, you know it's so it's kind of a not because they can't populate it it's also because apparently along with the no population and correct me if i'm wrong rob it's also like global warming everything's gone to shit and the rest of the planet's become basically inhospitable in some yeah, way like 
the, mm-hmm. you notice a couple of things. There's been some nuclear blasts have gone on. They talked mm-hmm. about the Turkey bomb that went off in Munich. People are still going to fight. I guess it's still human nature. There's still going to be wars and stuff like that. Nope. And everybody's mm-hmm. trying to become selfish and look out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would find but I wouldn't, uh, yeah, but I wouldn't think that, uh, I think the thing is that when people, people just don't have any hope left, right? Right. Right. What's the point of, uh, uh, what does it matter if your neighbor lives or not? You know what I mean? I, I think that's a great point. I mean, cause there's that amazing sequence near the end where, I, and this is what I didn't get. I was like, how, how could they plan on using this dude, like this little baby as like a negotiating chip when it seems like everyone's reaction to that baby is like, oh my God, great, a baby. Like the, the only person that thinks, mm-hmm. that, that thinks that it's in any way like going to be something that they can like, what, they're gonna kill the baby? Like, why would they do that? Like everyone in this moment in the movie, there's this huge sequence near the end where people are shooting at like, you know, the rebels are shooting and the cops are shooting inside this prison, which again, like, why are the cops shooting in this prison? Like, how did Chiwetel for even get inside that prison? I mean secondary stories but uh and then they all see that there's this baby and like everyone stops like all the every all the fighting stops and they just allow clive owen and the mom to like walk through because everyone's like it's a fucking baby like everyone's so happy it's a biblical moment um okay now something i do want to yeah there's a lot of biblical symbolism throughout this movie now something i do want to highlight as well is that this is a very complicated plot there's a lot of things going on the world building is fantastic which i like you said i think that's actually really really um smart decision making not only on the fonsa quran's choice but whoever did like set design production costume design as well because it's just far enough in the future where it feels very realistic to us and it's Technology is not too, so far out of bounds where it seems like a crazy sci-fi world like in Blade Runner. You know, it right. feels real. It feels very doable to us, you know, especially considering a lot of like a lot of dramatic themes and everything. But I also I thought that was actually kind of interesting when I was like thinking about this world building and like complicated stories. Let's face it, it's very easy for movies to get that meddled up. But also it turns out that this movie was actually nominated for three Oscars, including yeah. uh, Best Cinematography, Best Achievement in Film Editing, which makes complete sense. I mean, and that movie is edited fantastically. Yeah, so good. Best uh, Adapted Screenplay. And so this movie is like, Definitely pretty fantastic on all those accounts. I'm very glad I got those nominations. Did Clive? I mean, I guess I can see why Clive wouldn't get the nomination for this. What, what was it adapted from real life? Were they just adapting it from? They looked in a newspaper. That hmm? yeah, adapted from the newspaper. Um, let's should we? Should, I think we should do this part next uh, of putting this movie in context. Uh, it is a. It is. I just want, do want to let you know it is a book by P. D. James. Uh, it is a novel. Bummer. Mm-hmm. But, in, but in the book it's set in like 2021 but like the book was like written like the book was like written in the early 90s so it's like farther it ahead so that makes sense so it it the darkness of this about the darkness sorry go ahead I said in the book the men become infertile they changed it for the men oh oh shit that's a way better story yeah. it's the men I would prefer that actually I would have way I preferred, so that. preferred that. <laughs> one I would have way preferred that. Well, I guess we'll get to it in the very in the when we talk about our favorite moments. But um, I think uh, talking about this, put it in context for a second, it tells you a little something about my mind state. That my assumption was there's a boat, and this movie ends, and then it continues like 
Dawn of the Dead remake style where they like she gets on the boat and they're like just shoot her in the head because there is no human project like you know like it it just seems so bleak that like why would there even be an organization that's like dedicated to helping a like ostensible pregnant woman you're not wrong yeah i literally was waiting for that to happen i was like waiting for someone to kill her at any moment especially at the very end where he's like dead i was like waiting for like the boat to come up and then be like yeah okay now she's here. She'll ruin everything. We have to kill her. So, yeah. And that did it. Well, I'll it up to you, right? And like, if, if you feel hopeful, you'll have a hopeful ending. If you, uh, like, you're like, oh, they're going to take her to the Azores and everything's going to be okay mm-hmm. and they're going to figure out what's wrong with mankind and stuff. Or if you go into the movie with that, with feeling less hopeful, yeah, they're going to like- her for something as well. Everybody I else is going to use her. The the kind of concept here is I just was also wondering like why now that they know that there there can be one baby that somebody got pregnant and have a child why not just be like okay well great like that means that definitely other people can like now one person has that's like a that's like a canary in the coal mine kind of situation mm-hmm. great like people should be so people should be always acting about this movie I don't even know why it's like a thing why this woman wouldn't just be out in public being like I'm pregnant and everyone would be like oh my god how wonderful um, they. Yeah, they, they. So the government won't want to think that the refugees can have children. But is yeah. she not a refugee, or is she a refugee? She's a refugee. Yeah, that's why. She, she yeah, she's a refugee. They've also commented not only is she a refugee, they will say that she say they they mentioned that she's not the right color. You know, she's not white. They're they want an English savior baby. What are they gonna do? <laughs> uh, English white. They did they did specific, specify white. Sorry. At the end of the day, it's a baby. A baby's a baby. You guys haven't seen a baby in 18 years. No one's gonna care, like you know, where it comes from. For, I just think that they literally forgot how to how to interact with babies. It's so weird how to feed it, interact with the baby. It's so funky. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so putting into context, you know, kind of bringing it back, you know, you when did you see this movie for the first time, Rob? Like, you know, I know you said. You did you see it like when it first came out in theaters? Did you kind of catch no, it a little bit later? Or but a lot of people missed it in the theater. I saw it just as it came out to video, so it must have been two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Okay. Two thousand seven. Two thousand six. Two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yeah, would sorry. you say that you know, it's it's a schmodown competitor in you and I respect that. Oh. I wanna know, Rob, specifically, is why did you pick this movie for cinema bias tonight? I just always love the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it draws you in, and you become part of it. There the the scenes and there's a few of them where it seems like uh, there's no cuts. It's a simple oh, yeah. The, the car the car chase just with them oh. the ping pong balls back and forth and then seeing the car come down and then just it's intense 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 it has all these intense moments and it never really lets up um, but I don't think it's an unhappy movie like I don't ever I don't find this movie dark anymore I think it I think it's a, it's a happy movie essentially but some things that happen that are dark. I mean, it does. Mm-hmm. It does talk about the triumph of the human will, ultimately, because you know Owen Wilson. I mean, uh, sorry, Clive Owen. Uh, you know, sacrifices himself. Like as soon as he's, as soon as he's in it, he's in it to win it. Like at first, he's just, you know, helping his ex wife. <laughs> after this, so after she dies, he's in it to win it. Like nah, no, not okay, really. So, 
Because like, no, because at that point he doesn't know that she's pregnant. No, he doesn't find out she's pregnant until significantly until significantly later. He is well, in it yeah. to win it. After after she they she he's in the conversation around the dinner table and they realize where he's suggesting, hey, you guys have to take her to a doctor to like medical professionals, and he's like, no, 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 we need a blah blah blah. That at that point where he makes a conscious decision, hey, not only am I going to kidnap her from this group of people, I'm going to take her to some people that are going to be safe about this whole process. Well, let's not at that point, he is totally into into win he's actively well, trying clear, to take her it's not a totally altruistic idea to steal her away from the from the fishes yeah. he overhears a conversation where they're like yeah let's just kill clive owen like i, I love that mm-hmm. neither nobody nobody remembers true. his character name so his character's name is clive owen uh true like, <laughs> which again is like a weird it's a weird move like why kill him he doesn't know that you orchestrated the julian moore killing he was totally on board with your guys's scheme why kill him this is the work of human spirits because he's the one because he suggested the doctors he's the one that suggested taking her to main society whereas everyone else is exactly in a post of that and so and the girl the mary Magdalene character essentially she is like the one saying hey i'm gonna do what he says I am following him and everyone else is literally like, seriously, there's like 50 other people here and you want to go with this bra? <laughs> Sorry, what'd you say, Ralph? So that Okay, so he knows that she's pregnant by that point. Yeah, he finds out in the, in the like, the, he finds out in the stall like, when, with the animals, right? Like when she's right. in the like, stall. Mm-hmm. Kill this guy. And she, she already knows she's pregnant. Bears herself. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if that's it. I also wonder if it's about loose ends because he got the passport from uh, his friend, like that's also that's also his like brother the- or something. No, yeah. it's a, it's a diplomat friend of his or something, or like somebody high up in the government. His cousin Nigel. His cousin Nigel. Okay, so his cousin. cousin uh, I wanted to see more of that world. It was very Black Mirror for a second. That's also the part where you get a little bit more of the sci-fi stuff because you get to see what his little his cousin's son is playing on this little tablet thingy. You yeah. know, not paying attention, just like every other kid. Yeah, just mm-hmm. like every kid in the world. But yeah. you know that. That cousin offers up like a different uh, mindset that we get in the film because it's just we're just seeing like the lowest lowest rung of society for most of this film. And you're right, the way that it's shot, the the editing and the cinematography of this movie are so intense. Like it just makes you feel like you're viscerally in the moment, like you are just dodging bullets. So you can't really stop and think about what this world might mean in a philosophical sense, except uh, in, until uh sorry until you um hear what like cousin Nigel says. Like he's like the mm-hmm. voice on the other side. Like, he's just like, why is it matter? Like, he's like, when the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Like, there are these gross undesirables kind of thing. He's sort of tuned out, clueless. Michael Caine is the other really interesting voice that we get in this movie because, Rob, tell me here. Maybe I missed it. What is his relationship to Clive Owen? They're friends. They're like best friends. They worked together in New York uh, when they were activists or something like that, when Julianne Moore... Like Julian Moore's name is Julian, I believe. Okay. Uh, and then Julian and Theo all work together with uh, Michael Caine, who's Jasper in New York, I believe, because I believe that's where his where his son died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jasper knew the son. I'm I'm, I'm imagining it's in New York, but uh, this movie is pretty famous for not giving you much for exposition. They don't explain nope. very much. Nope. Yeah. 
the director Alfonso Cuaron, he's actually mentioned he doesn't like using exposition all that much because he has mentioned in interviews he calls it lazy filmmaking. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, he likes like the opposite of an exposition dump movie. Like absolutely. Exactly. Right. Well, he likes open ended and he likes uh, open ended endings. He likes it when you at the he says he he says he doesn't like to make it easy for the audience. He likes to he like he wants to force the audience to solve the problem or figure things out for themselves you know right. um i was surprised at the end when they showed the boat i figured when he just kind of slumps over that would have been a good spot for quran to cut it but he shows yeah. the boat at the end i think to give it a little bit more hope because otherwise yeah. it's yeah. just so weak mm -hmm. you know i think it's also like you know you you could get this little black mirror world like you you know my desire, you know, it, it, it does speak to the sort of restraint that he has or like this sort of like his, yeah, this is sort of like restraint discipline to be like, no, I only want to tell this story from like the ground up because like the impulse here, I'm assuming would be to be like, okay, now what's going on in the government? Like what's going on here? Like, let's, yeah. let's see. Um, I have a picture of the grossest apartment of all time, which is Nigel's. So let's see. Hold on. Let's see if I can share it. Uh, I got this up. There we go. It's almost like, like the, it's a, it's almost like a, a Sheen's place from Wall Street, but like grosser. Like mm -hmm. that's a that's like a what a gross house. It's it's definitely kind of a weird situation. I mean, like that is like it's a, arguably one of those iconic Picasso paintings. So they are obviously and there the, there are these two large dogs. You know, here in this world, obviously having pets is a kind of luxury. Uh, financially speaking, uh, you know, but yeah, it's they have servants. The color palette not only is a very black mirror. Jared Kushner um, lives here, I believe. Like this is where Jared Kushner. <laughs> Absolutely, where Jared um, Kushner lives. But it's kind of interesting because one of the only sources of color like actual color outside of like flesh tones is those little pot of flowers which mm -hmm. is like in the in the movie it's like definitely like a is a richer like burgundy red color in this movie you can see a little bit of the redness but it's it's kind of funny that the only color in this scene you know is nature you know, it's I mean, something that's like literally and figuratively speaking, it's growing. You know, it's something that's kind of off to the side that you're not focused on, but it is something very there present. So here's what I think. And I realize what this movie reminds me of. This movie is the most reminiscent to me of not another movie, but of The Handmaid's Tale. That's the sort yes. of dystopia we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of dystopia where like, you know, this is like the austere upper class, but then like imagine the handmaid's tale, but we never find out like anything about the ruling society. So it's just like the, imagine the handmaid's tale, but we're just finding out about what happens when they get exiled. Like it is brutal and dark and we get this one glimpse. It's like a tantalizing glimpse of what the rest of society could look like. Um, and you're like, I keep going back to this, but you're right. Like not even the guns are updated. The guns are just guns. Like they're yeah. not, they're not like cool guns. Guns are something that gets updated like every six months, man. <laughs> you know, and you know they were like, nah, we want to keep the guns like pretty, pretty normal where everyone rec recognize them. But I think that's a very conscious choice, obviously. We need to go back to Michael Caine for a second because I see some comments talking about it. Weed dealers don't have photos of their clients like on their like on their like message on their like dream board. Like this guy has a wife who's who's like not comatose, but she is like uh, unable to speak. She's catatonic. in a wheelchair, and they have mm -hmm. go ahead. So she's catatonic, I guess. She's catatonic. 
He, Michael Caine has a picture, like has her facing pictures of Clive Owen and Julianne Moore and their child. That's what she's looking at. Right. Why? <laughs> I, well, the thing is, I actually, when I, when I saw this for the first time, um, because I saw it twice and it's been a week because I hate life. Um, I actually, I, I, like, I, I know. Um, I, I read it initially as, uh, well, I think it's the first time I saw it as, as that. But in the second time I watched it, I, I kind of saw it as like, as um what's her name julie uh uh julian taylor's mom and so like they're like it's like his father-in-law essentially but they got a divorce so he is like a, that so he would be like the grand the grandparents to their child that died you're right it must be like a godfather yeah, so it, yeah there was no as far as we're watching it there was no um explicit definition being like yeah that was my grandbaby or anything like that but that kind of closeness i only see right. And like, as far as like close families, you know, I mean, grandparents with their kids and, you know. Dude was willing to die for him. Dude was willing to do the exactly. pull my finger. The, the, not only die for him, but die <laughs> yeah. for him. Like this only the, one of two jokes in the movie. One is like the pull my finger bit. And the second is like her thing where he, she's like, who's the father? And she's like, I'm a virgin. And then she's like, no, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> he like looks like he's like, oh my God, for real. And she's like, no, like I have no idea who the father is. And that was like legit hysterical like i like giggled <laughs> um but yeah like i want to talk about like you know are there any sort of like moments that specifically grabbed you that like what were your favorite like moments or characters or lines from this film that like you know really struck like stuck out to you when you play this movie in your head for the dystopian uh future that we'll hopefully never have to come to uh mm -hmm. What, what sticks out for you? Well, the scene that I'll always go to is the scene after uh, Keith gives birth and uh, the fishes find them in the refugee camp and uh, they get separated and yeah, they'll get her back when uh, the bullets are flying and stuff and uh, uh, he finds them upstairs and uh, Luke starts talking about how... Uh, how small the baby is. Yeah. Breaking and stuff. You can see he's human too and stuff like that. And then he just starts shooting at the police again. And until Not only shooting at the police, but doesn't he shoot at them because Clive Owen gets hit? So, yeah, like, yeah, for sure. It is not a good place for the baby to be. Like, honestly, Chota Edgeta Four's plan in terms of getting Julianne more ambushed and brilliant plan. Everything he does after that is so dumb. I'm like, why would you bring the baby to where the shooting is? Just not yeah, like Simba. Desperation may have helped in that too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is a movie that runs on adrenaline. This is what people make. This is like a rabbit, like gnawing off its own leg to get out of the trap kind of yeah. movie, you know? Uh, I, go ahead, Alex. I, uh, I do want to highlight some of my favorite moments um, and scenes actually really emerge from one character in particular that I feel like doesn't really get all that much love. And um, it's Miriam. So if you don't remember who Miriam Miriam, I've the entire time, and I also like I, when I when I saw her, and I was like, "This is that, it was that bitch from my one of my the movies that I hated as a uh, that I had a love hate relationship what? as a kid." Um, oh crap! What is it called? Um, Wait. What? It's, it's the one where it's one where about the little girl, like the it, like the eight year old girl. She ends up getting any like, magical powers and she reads books obsessively. She goes to like, she's like she's Madame Trenchable. Matilda? Are you talking about Matilda? Matilda? Yeah. 
Yeah, she, yeah, she is. Okay, so the woman that plays Miriam plays, um, plays Principal Tr uh, Trentable. No way. Matilda. Yeah, no go way. back and watch it. Go back and watch it. And I saw it and I was like, <gasps> oh, I can't believe okay. her. And I had to confirm. I confirmed it. Okay. I confirmed it. I had it. to look with my own eyes. Yes. Do it. it, please. Uh, it was really great. And she was also in one of the Harry Potter movies like later on. And so I was like, ha go me. You're anyway, right. But I, you are right. Yes. Wow. I know. I know. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. But it's uh, it was a she has like some of my favorite lines. So one of my favorite lines that she ends up saying. Oh, sorry. Um, one of my favorite lines that she ends up saying in the movie is uh, the scene where it's a scene where uh, she's talking to Clive Owen's character in the grade school, essentially, mm -hmm. and they have to. Um, and the, the grade school is like completely decrepit. There's dust everywhere. There's like a deer that walked across <laughs> across the hallway at one point. And uh, while looking through through this beautiful frame, they're both looking at at, at uh, looking at um, uh, the the pregnant girl. And they're both like in a classroom looking at her through the window. And Miriam says, as the sound of the playgrounds faded, the despair set in. Very odd what happens in a world without children's voices. Yeah. And I was like, oh. oh. It's but pretty she, good. Yeah. And she's like, also, yeah, she's also the reason why. Uh, you know, she sacrifices herself and she, like, when you're on the bus entering into into that, uh, into, like, the war zone, essentially, area, where she was just, like, she, where they were becoming suspicious of her being, like, oh, my gosh, it hurt, oh, you know, she ends up sacrificing herself, that gets, up, gets, gets her kicked off the bus, and, you oh, know. The really stuff, where she's, like, ranting. Yeah, yeah, she, you know, it's, it's crazy, it's, and it's just such a, I, I feel like it's a really beautiful moment for her. So am I saying in the comments, it reminds me of the Book of Eli, uh, Eli. Book of Eli was, uh, I would say, a less dark version of this because Book of Eli is yeah. a dystopian future, but it's one that's like campy. It's like, you know, they're going on an adventure like Gary Oldman's. If Gary Oldman's mm -hmm. your bad guy, just like a heads up, that movie is not going to be as dark as Children of Men. Like mm -hmm. Gary Oldman's. Gary Oldman's a, like a very funny, good, campy bad guy, but he's no Chiwetel Ejiofor. Like, no. if that's your villain in the movie, you're you're talking about a dark film, which is why the Lion King uh, live action movie was kind of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, and you can't forget, you know, it's also Gary Oldman that did uh, one of the most ridiculous and bonkers villains ever in Hannibal. He played um, Mason Berger. Uh, Verger, not, yes. even, not even the best Mason Verger, though, in my estimation. Probably it goes it goes Michael Pitt, Joe Anderson, and then that's, Gary Oldman. That's definitely, that's definitely a different a, a discussion that needs. To yeah, be that's had. a whole other discussion. That's our Hannibal podcast. We'll wait for it this fall. <laughs> um, uh, Rob, did you have any favorite lines from the movie? Oh, I'm bad at remembering things like lines. Uh, like, oh, I'm not sure. Like, I, uh, the pull my finger and then. Uh, so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about that? favorite scenes in that case? Is there any I scene like, that really grabbed you? I like the one where they, where they, where you have this one moment of levity right before the terrible car crash, where they're doing that. They're showing the trick that they used to do together as a couple. Weirdest couple. Weirdest party trick ever. They can blow. They can like put a ping pong ball in their mouth and then like. 
pop it to the other one. And I'm like, how did you, how did you find out that you guys could do this? <laughs> like party trick. It's a party trick. Relationship that that came up. I don't know. I mean, like, somebody was just like, oh, no, to catch that. And she's like, hold. <laughs> yeah, party tricks. You learn weird, random party tricks. Yeah. I can have my, uh, my, I can have my finger touch uh, this part of my wrist or forearm, you know. But yeah, but like you learned that. You didn't learn that with somebody. No, I actually did learn it with Lucas because it was because I was at the doctor's office and I was like, oh. Up. What about you, Rob? Do you have any party tricks that you? Nope. Maybe? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> No. Look, I'm from Canada. I don't need party tricks. Okay. this movie? You said that you were in London. Like, uh, did this movie like, does this movie resonate as like a like a like reminiscent of your experience there, or do you feel like this is like a global movie? Like, this movie is just for like I know it feels specifically American to me right now, but that's because we're building cages and putting people in them. Uh, yeah. But, you know, no, they're. All I know is that when I was on the streets there, like very little of this movie takes place in London. There's the scene right. in the beginning where it explodes. Well, and then the London I didn't see. Like then they go deeper in, like where uh, they go to the dog track and then they have to take the bus and they have to go to uh, mm -hmm. that old dinner. I wasn't, in, there, I wasn't anywhere near there. I was right down near Victoria Station. So uh, I, I, that. I lived in London, I was in Baker Street, like right there. Uh -huh. um, yeah, and then, and then it's a lot of farm settings and then the coastal towns and then they blew the hell out of the coastal towns so you wouldn't recognize it anyways, right? Secondary question, why would they have bombed that prison? What was what did they think was going on there? That they needed to bomb that whole refugee camp? Like when the fighter jet comes at the end, I'm like, what What did you think was happening? Well, the Fujis blew it their way in, right? They There was an explosion and that That's right, they blew their way in. Blew their way in. But to do like to what end would that make that place someplace that like you would need a bomb? They blew their way into a prison. So for all the government knows, like the the feed the feast the fishes whatever they're called just blew their right. way into a refugee camp. Right. But Why would you need a bomb? Yeah. Go they ahead. may not know it's for people to get in. They may think it's for people to get out. Sure, but they sent a bunch of their soldiers there too. I just I just like the logic here just doesn't work except in a doomsday like like you know end of days scenario. But then again, we're living in a Paris, stop it. Alex, that's a nice bed frame. Alex, uh, that's a nice bed frame, says Paris. <laughs> okay, for that, we've got to do something. For that, we have to, like, we, we've got to I'll do call something. call the homeowner. Alex, we need to see your party trick now. Um, your weird human trick. Oh, God. Disgusting. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just gonna start calling it's, this. Uh, it's actually I shouldn't do that. It's because I have card because I have a uh, my cartilage oh. is like really bad in my hands, and that's the reason why I can do it. It's actually really bad. I have, yeah, I have, I have arthritis. A, I have a connective tissue disorder that makes it so I can do this. Like, and I can like sit really weird, and I can like bend my I can bend my legs so they're like facing like a, a W, and then they can go all the way inward like that. I can also um, what else can I do? Eric, long like reminds hip hop video. What did you say? Looks like a dancer yeah. in a '90s hip hop video. Yeah. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Wait, how do you, how do you do it? Wait, how do wait, how do you do it? Okay, left in front of right, left in front of right, and you clasp them together. 
Make like a squat. So lock your arm. Then put it so both elbows are facing down. Okay. Now you make a square. As hard as you can. You make oh, a square. Wait. 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 Now so, what? Yeah. So you cross. So it's like here. And then you cross them. Yeah. And then you put your head without breaking it. You put it your head in there. Yeah. And this is too big. It's too big for my. Big yeah, it's too big for my headpiece. Let's see, let's see. I'm just gonna start calling this the Ferris jar. Is what we're calling the tip jar from now on because Ferris is a monster. Ah, Ferris, you're making me okay. So, uh, let's see. Do I have any other talents? I'm trying to think if I have anything else to show off. Um, I can sound like Miss Piggy. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Is that Miss Piggy? Is it? I feel like you like. I feel like Miss Piggy's like. It's like a very. Kirby. 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 Come on, guys, give it up for that. That was a great Miss Piggy. I can do Bane. Oh, can you? I can do. I can do surprisingly good Bane for for. Yeah, I can. I can do a surprisingly good Bane for a chick. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, see, look, looks like you can be. Uh, okay. You think the shadows are your ally? I was oh, born wait. in the dark, molded by it. I didn't see the light of day till I was a young man. I think that's the line. <laughs> that line, that I have to find it. it. For you. I have to look that up. I have to look that up now. Batman Returns. No, it's not Batman Returns. It's always Dark, Dark Knight Rises. Yes, yeah, simple. Dark Knight Rises. Whatever. Tomato, tomato. Y'all know what I was talking about. Uh, sorry, I just had to say that, that. I don't actually think you're a simple bitch. I just want to say to Lon, I did watch that John Mulaney thing where he says, The grid system, you stupid bitch. Uh, I was watching that the other day and that just came out. You know how um, to do it. Go ahead. Oh, I do want to ask. Uh, because we talked about lines, characters, and everything, I kind of want to focus on the cinematography of this movie, kind of bringing back so to the movie great. a little bit. This movie, regardless of how you feel about dystopian movies or sci-fi or dramas, political films, this is also this is I'm giving you a thesis right here. This is definitely the most political, non-political movie ever. <laughs> like it's not a movie that deals with politicians. But you know that there's people watching this movie right now who's like, yeah, they deserve, they're undeserved. They don't deserve to be in London. Like, you know, there is like, this movie shouldn't be political, but it I, absolutely is. No, I mean, it was, but I think also like a conversation when it kind of deals with certain themes, it, it is inherently a very political thing. I think art, any, I think art in itself, making art itself is a very political act. Sure. Honestly, but, but like but, when um, you do Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D, that's a different kind of political or artistic statement yeah. uh, than doing very ones true. where like the government, because no one's gonna have when we kill the world, I'd put everyone in cages, do your thing, cause. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, absolutely, absolutely. But I do want to, you know, with that being said, though, regardless of how you feel about certain genres of the movie, of the director, all that good stuff, you cannot argue frame for frame. This is a very yeah. stunning movie. You know, it makes sense completely that it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Cinematography. But I do want to kind of talk about the aesthetic of this film because it is a mood. It is a vibe. It and is a whole mood that I never want to recreate. No. Um, it is a whole panic yeah. attack. 
a panic attack. Now, Rob, I kind of want to know specifically, you know, you picked this movie, you know, obviously, like you said, you know, with favorite lines, scenes, all that good stuff. I mean, like, what is it about, is there anything from this movie, aesthetically speaking, that really moves you? Maybe is it the color palette or maybe it's certain scenes the, with the lighting, you know, the way that's kind of the frames are kind of set up. Is there anything um, aesthetically that really draws you in for this what movie? Your favorite shot? <laughs> favorite, well, it can be. What, what is your favorite shot? You might have that. Well, my favorite shot, again, is... Uh, is in uh, was it Brixton Brixton on Sea or whatever? Yeah. And uh, the buildings being blown apart. But you're right when you say the movie is filmed in blues and grays mm-hmm. and like muddy greens. Uh, mm-hmm. The only time there's ever kind of any respite from that is when he's at Jasper's house. Then it's all different colors. Jasper's also got a kick-ass stereo system. Can we just, it reminds me of my dad who has like a kick-ass stereo system. Jasper's just jamming out like with the most high depth system in the world. That was another futuristic thing. I'm like, do they just have better, like, like they have better like uh, speakers or is that just like a crisper? Is that even a, like, I don't know if he's playing a record or what, but he's playing like Blackbird, right? Like, and it's just real good. That was I just go, oh, and I'm doing the weird uh, uh, air guitar dance. It is, uh, ironically, I think this might be the most fun Michael uh, Caine has had in a movie in a very long time, despite the movie being grim as hell. That's the most fun Michael Caine's had playing somebody. I can't think of the last time he seemed that like like excited to not be playing Michael Caine. Yeah, and he gets killed yeah. for Well, Michael Caine is definitely, Michael Caine is definitely a, an iconic actor, but he's not known specific he's known for comedies and things like that he's content. not known for doing drama as much yeah 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 he is things alex, alex sorry back up michael kane's exclusively known for doing dramas there are very few comedies but no absolutely yeah no absolutely i i know that but when i i growing up with him i i think of almost exclusively comedies with when it comes to him i think of um I think of Rat Race. I think of I, I was like that. What was it? That movie? Um, trading place. I think of Trading Places. I you know you know things yeah. like that. And, no, sorry, not Trading. The one he does with the uh, you know. Very well. Yes. I, I think of these. I, so you're you're totally right. You know I, things. I, I associate him more with these. I think comedies. John Cleese was the guy from uh, Rat Race too. I'm not sure if that was him. Was he in Rat Race? Yeah, John Cleese was it. Oh, okay, okay, you're, yeah, you're probably right. But regardless, you yeah. know, I associate him with a lot of these comedies. It's kind of funny because, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier that, you know, that this movie is that you can't really breathe watching it. You know, yeah. but Michael Caine, he is, he is like low key, the only element of comedic relief throughout the entire movie. I, I do want to take a minute to highlight the scene in particular because that's my favorite shot. Because I feel like it highlights the ridiculousness Whoa, of this world. I this. <laughs> What's yeah. this? Like this is a scene where uh, uh, where he's asking his cousin essentially for the papers, and he's like, "Yeah, my girlfriend is trying to get to her brother, and he needs the papers. Can you give us the papers?" And they have this moment where it's like, "Yeah, that's kind of difficult," but it's it kind of highlights a lot of the weirdness going on in this world. You it's know, also very uh, Black Mirror. Like that kind of just predicts yeah. that first Black Mirror episode. Like. Like that's the, the mm-hmm. prime minister. Uh, what was it like? Uh, something of the nation. Hail, hail the mm-hmm. chief. Uh, I forget what it is. National anthem is the name of it. The one mm-hmm. with the prime minister and the pig. 
Mm-hmm. Total last shot. But what are we supposed to think that dissidents put that pig in the air and supposed to represent somebody? No. Or what does that represent? I think, well, he that's the arc of the arts. And so um, I think uh, that place is where they're gathering up all the art from around. Like we were talking before, the kid playing his little uh, computer game and stuff where mm-hmm. they were sitting down. The painting behind him is Guernica by Picasso. Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's it's, it's like I said, it's not when they walk in, the statue of David is sitting there, right? Oh, so they're doing mm-hmm. like a Nazi thing where they're like just taking all the art. Yeah. It was actually a replica of, of uh, the Statue of David because unless they took the original, like, cut I think off half his the leg, they yeah. cut off half his leg and give him an like. He has like yeah, he's amputated like where his is amputated right. with from his knee down, and they have a, uh, a what should I call it? And, it, and it's stuff. I thought he said that he saved. They saved it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's definitely something. That's the statue of David that did get blown up, and yeah. they just managed to save it except for the leg. That's that's oh, that okay. I yeah, I, I misunderstood. Like I read it as a very different situation. So in this world, then they take Pink Floyd and stuff like that too. I mean, that's that's really cool and clever, and I never I didn't realize I'm gonna have to go back and watch that sequence. I do think it's funny though that in that world, then like Banksy or somebody made a very famous floating statue of a pig. Like that's not that's not real art. Like it's funny that they're like this is this is like the this is our fortune. This is what we've reaped from being the one nation left. We get the giant pig floating in the sky. Yeah, the the arc of the arts is uh, Battersea Station in London. That's where they had uh, the pig fly over for the cover of Animals. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that is. Yeah. I knew something. I, yeah. I, I yeah, it, there's also this like this idea of there's a real element of classism that's set throughout that scene because as you can see, you can kind of it's kind of a joke where like the the higher class you are, you don't need to dress nice. So you can be like you can be very casual by comparison, you know. And is if if uh, Shawnee can bring that uh, that picture up again, you see he is. You know, he is definitely the much more casual one in the situation. He's dressed in jeans. He's dressed in a, like in a gray sweatshirt thing. Versus Clive, he's dressed in a suit and he's like they both have white, nice watches out. And you know, he's definitely a lot more chill by comparison, at least by his he's uh, almost dress. Lovely. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, yeah. hilariously, it's that guy. It's uh, not Terrence Stamp. It's that other guy Danny, from Big Danny, Bitch. Danny Houston. Danny Houston. Danny Houston. American Horror Story's favorite like character actor. Just kidding, they have like a hundred, but like one of them is Danny Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that I think that he's living there. I think that's why he's dressed casually. No, no, uh, that's Stephanie's house. He was coming from work, I believe, right? Because he was mm-hmm. uh, he was at the dog track. Because he, yeah. he stood out because he was so sad about uh, uh, Sergio being uh, being killed. Was he right? care- didn't he care about Sergio, or was that just like? No, the thing is, he no, he didn't care, but he said that he was like, "Oh, this is affecting me a lot more than it than I thought." In order to get out of work, so he. Right. Didn't I feel that after his son died, this and this okay, there's no exposition. They're not telling you that. This is just what I feel. No, just when dead son. His son died. He shut down. Yeah. And couldn't care less anymore. And his wife went another way. His wife went into active, like even higher into activism, into paramilitary kind of things. But he just stopped. She went into, let's not sugarcoat it. She went into domestic terrorism. No, no. It's only she, no, she did. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's, 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 it
No, she, no, it, no. Thing is, by definition, she is one hundred percent a domestic terrorist. She yeah. is the, the UK uh, citizen committing being part of a group that's committing terrorist acts on the UK. Is it good? What does she do it? That's up to debate. But if, if she's doing good things, but she thinks she's part of a group that's actively are they, are they, that's calling the rebels in Star Wars domestic terrorists of space. But if no, I mean, no, that no, that no, that's completely different. Thing is, is they are actively specifically for the UK. They're doing it for UK benefits. Um, it's different. Like honestly, you can't. Sorry. You can definitely make that argument, honestly. If they're if uh, if the rebels were part of a planet or something like that, you know, you can make that argument that they would be domestic terrorists. Sure, you I can mean, make I, that I, argument. I'm actually asking, uh, I, I, like, are they bombing? They, is she bombing stuff? Yes. She's bombing. Okay. She, she, she mentioned that it was. She she mentioned that it was like her group that did the bombing at the beginning, and she didn't realize oh. that she was there. I thought they kept saying that it, it wasn't them. That was the government, that they've been responsible for bombings, but they stopped. That the, gov mm. the government actually uh, oh, blew, yeah. blew up the cafe. Um, yeah, maybe maybe that was a maybe that is the case, but um, but the point I'm is sure though, if you, if you have the, yeah, she, there's a history of domestic uh, terrorism. Yeah. Now, if it's, if it's a good, if it's for a good purpose or whatever it may be, that's definitely arguable, you know, for sure. But that doesn't matter. By definition, they are domestic terrorists. Sure. Look, I'm not I'm not going to argue semantics on it. I think that's like a little mm -hmm. bit like to the point. This is the side point of it. But I think that mm -hmm. what it is to say is that she's got blood on her hands. She's not clean, and he. He is like she's she's mm -hmm. she's in the thick of it, and she's gotten involved with, of course, like somebody who's uh, and you see this all the time in these kind of movies. Like, of course, even the rebels are gonna have this this swings too far the other way, but ends up at the same place as the like total uh, the authoritarian government kind of thing, where Chiwetel Ejiofor's character, like, should be. I mean, there's no reason that he should like decide see a pregnant woman and be like, we're helping her. Travel. I mean, yes, I don't think it was ever his plan to get her to safety because he's the one that originally was trying to talk Julianne more into keeping the kid in the UK. So he was always planning to use the kid as like a bargaining chip. I still don't understand how that could, how a child is a bargaining chip, except for my favorite shot in the movie, which is right. You hold up a baby and like everyone like just, just stops. Like everyone just stops. You hear like one guy on the radio go like, stop, like don't shoot anymore. Because of course that like brings the humanity to it. And that's the first time we've really seen this moment of collective humanity instead of collective like cruelty. People have just been doing stuff out for themselves. You see that guy Stu, uh, right? Like the guard is named Stu and he's like, he's got it. Oh wait, that was my other favorite line in the movie where they had to call Stu a fascist pig. And, <laughs> and Stu talks in the third person and it's just like yeah. the most random affectation to have this movie to have. But you know, he sees the baby and then he's gonna grab it and then like whatever. So you get the sense that everyone's just in it for themselves until like the baby literally stops like the middle of a like gigantic shootout and everyone just stops like and they just let them pass. And it's such a beautiful climatic moment that really does speak to a more hopeful vision of humanity that people, you watch these soldiers go from being soldiers to like being like guys being like, oh my God, I wanna, like, I wanna touch it. Like it's really, that's was the most beautiful part of the movie I think. There's a lot of nativity scene kind of uh, uh, nativity kind of uh, vibes going on in the movie, right? Like when uh, when Theo finds out that she is pregnant, uh, she's in a in a barn or a manger, right? Uh, he showed, yeah, she shows him the baby, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. and then when Sid busts into uh, the 
the Jaeger or whatever, where uh, she had the baby, sees the baby, says Jesus Christ. So they uh, put it on there again. And then, I guess uh, the movie was released on Christmas Day. And it's about a. Is it really? Yeah. That's funny. And the was released on Christmas Day. I know that. What a terrible idea if you're trying to win an Oscar. But yeah. yeah. I don't know if they were. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, well, it got nominated for a bunch of things. I'm wondering, yeah. this movie, I feel like it was such a bummer. This movie could not have done well in theaters when it came out. Like, I just don't. Did it? Like, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm watch, but it wasn't by much. I, I can't. 70 I million. Was, I think it was made for mm -hmm. 75 million bucks and it made 70. Yeah, it was 76 million. Made 70, six million uh, so it took a six million deficit. Yeah. All right. Um, it's yeah, it, I know, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, this movie is definitely a very risky movie, I'm sure, to make when it was, you know, not only, you know, its themes and, you know, because let's face it, you know, dramas aren't exactly money makers nowadays. Right. I, I uh, as, unless it's like directed by someone like really well known. And at, at the time, you know, Alfonso Cuaron wasn't, uh, the Alfonso Cuaron that we know today. He's not the Oscar winning director that we know today. Now, um, this movie um, is also, I, I remember doing, I think I did a little bit of research after this movie and I actually read that this movie is actually referenced, uh, used in like a reference in, um, in like children's studies, like student services quite a bit. Okay. Um, I mean, when I'm, I'm go ahead. Well, the thing is, when I like when I was in high school, um, like middle school and high school, when I participated in um, in uh, in student and in student services kind of thing, we over like a summer we that we studied uh, a franchise or a movie or whatever, and like a, from the then we applied it to the Bible. So we did Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia and stuff like that. Um, but this movie is actually used quite a bit <laughs> in student. Um, and as far as in, in biblical discussions and church discussions in particular, there's a lot of references. Like Theo is uh, compared a lot to Moses, you know, pretty consistently throughout the movie. Like uh, the, his name is Theo, by the way. But um, he, Theo. He, Theo. Yeah, he, Theo, yes. And he ends up, he, he's not he's not Moses, but he definitely has a lot of similarities to Moses. He, as far as um, he, he, let's face it, um, Moses, he, um, helps a woman with a baby get on a boat to survival. To no, Moses was the baby yeah. on the boat. Moses was the baby on the boat. Yes, yeah, but the thing is, but it's it's like that whole transfer process. That also the woman she ends, up, I guess, yeah. Yeah, she ends up uh, revealing that she was pregnant in a barn, very similar to Moses as well. Um, but it's Jesus? you know there's yeah, Moses. Yeah, so so Kiri reveals her pregnancy in a barn, aka like which is a manger, you know. So it's yep. very, like Jesus. so it's not, it's not, it's not, yeah. So it's not it's not Moses, but I mean it's a very biblical moment. But I mean it's yeah. more, he, Look, compared to Moses in particular a lot. Um, I, I don't think I'm disagreeing with you at all that this mm -hmm. is a very biblical movie. They're, they're obviously biblical sim symbolism so much so that I was surprised mm -hmm. the boat wasn't named like you know like Israel. Like I was, it's just real. It's just real. It's almost like a little. Bit, it's it's never on the nose because again, this is such a frenetic pace movie where you're not getting a bunch of the contextual clues. But in the sense that yes, he's her shepherd. He is someone who's acting, who becomes almost saint or martyr like. You know, his last act is to teach her how to burp her own child. 
you know, like there are some, I mean, the people that the women that help them along the way are these very like, you know, they're these very sort of uh, not nun-like, but they're these this sort of like women of, you know, Sarah and Rachel that you hear about in the Bible. Like they are, mm-hmm. people act in biblical ways and you're dealing with yeah. extreme situations, but by the definition are biblical. And the movie's about acts of God or whatever you want to call them. That would be like the plague. That's the 10th oh. plague is death of the firstborn. So. Oh. Uh, she would tell Julie Ford, or and maybe it's not him. Maybe it's someone else. Um, but it's the the group is called the the group is called the Fishes, right? Yeah, like loaves the and leader, fishes. Yeah, the the leader is named Luke, and as in Saint Luke, leader oh. of the fishes. Oh, oh, see what I did there? Which is a direct biblical reference. Oh, I'm not, I'm not sure I that, but uh, I found Saint the Luke. Yeah, mm-hmm. for the Bible. Uh, hold on, but I'm getting new crayon. Uh, I want to say that like this movie bummed me the hell out. It reminds me why I have such a hard time with dramas. I have, I have a certain I have a hard time with certain kinds of films. I have a hard time with action movies because like I I get too triggered or whatever when I hear gunshots or car crashes. So those kind of things are fun. I find like very triggering. And then dramas just really make me sad and like to most of them make me bored. And like I'm, I just don't like the feelings that they invoke in me because they invoke not good feelings. Like they invoke feelings of like just having to sit with your emotional state and like things not being great in the world or loss and grief, and just not things I want to think about or like live in on like an everyday moment. But I will say that this movie, truly, if you are going to watch a drama, if you are going to watch something that like you want to move you, this is a very effective movie, especially because like. This movie is being recontextualized now. I'm like seeing like right now, like even on Wikia, Wikipedia, they're saying that this movie after, hold on. They're saying like after, uh, hold on. Uh, let's see, it says after, uh, in the wake of the, Europe- the European migrant crisis of 2015, the British withdrawal of the European Union of the late 2010s, the election of Donald Trump in 2016 and the COVID pandemic of 2020, all which involved this divisive debates about immigration and increasing border enforcement. Several commentators reapprised the film's importance with some calling it prescient. And then there's like 40 links. But I, I do want to say my other favorite part of this movie might have to just be stew. Like hand it up for stew. That's that stew is up. Which one's Sorry. stew? Which one's stew? stew? Isn't that the guy who uh, like talks in third person? Oh yeah, you know he's like the guy. That, like I don't know why you want to break into a prison. Yeah, I would have liked that- to know way more about Michael Caine's character, but like, yeah, I mean, this movie is—it's hopeful, but it really is like a crack coming out of a flat, like a pavement, like cemented down and like just totally beaten to the ground. It's this. It's kind of weird. I kind of feel like I, I this is definitely kind of a movie where I kind of wish there was a prequel, but at the same time, I don't want a prequel. You know, I mean, because I'm like, because I don't want to tell Alfonso Cuaron what to do. And I feel like that would really defeat the purpose of what his goal was, you know? <laughs> but I would really have loved to see, you know, where these characters came from, especially Michael Caine's character, you know, Theo's or, you know, Julian uh, Taylor, whatever her name was, her character as well, uh, by uh, Julian Moore. I would have loved to see her character evolution leading up the events leading up to her death, unfortunately. Or I want to know everything. I want to know about Chiwetel. I want to know, but I especially want to know about Michael Caine and his lack of a family. I think that's one of the reasons why I love this movie so much is that, 
you want to know more, but you'll never get it. Anything that you get, it's going to be in your own head. Yeah. yeah. It really, it really, you want. it really mm -hmm. is like the perfect film. Like I would show this kids, like if I like had a filmmaking class, I'd like show this to all my students because it's such a thing that people would just want to like, if you do a dystopian or anything set in the future, you just want to tell exposition dump, exposition dump. Here's how this part of the government works. Blah, blah. This is such a restraint. Like where this, is, this movie shows so much restraint in being like, mm -hmm. no, we're not interested in like what the cars would look like. Mm -hmm. Also, the quest is never to find out why everyone went there, and that was never part of this movie. This part of—it's just a slice of life movie. You're right, and like absolutely, and there's no big brother, there's no big bad. Like you don't at no point does like uh, Gus Fringe come in and be like, "We need that baby." Like right. no, like you're not yeah. getting. <laughs> anyway. The Ministry of Infertility doesn't show up uh, knocking on doors and stuff. Yeah. Where's the baby now? Oh. Christoph Waltz, not in this movie. That honestly, I'm very thankful for that tweet for that, honestly, because there's if um I'm actually very grateful, honestly, looking watching this movie, there was no one there was, you know, several big actors, but it wasn't uh, there weren't any actors that were distractingly Big. That was a big. That was a big part of this. No. Julian Moore was no. the only famous person at that time in that cast because Clive Owen hadn't come no. out with his big movies oh, till this okay. and and the same year, no. Inside Man. So like they were. But aside Michael Caine, there was like nobody. And Charlie Hunnam is in this movie, but like you barely recognize him. Yeah, I know. I saw him and I was like, he looked. <gasps> yeah, it was great. I was very proud when I recognized that. He's like low. He's pretty. He's so under. He's so underused. I'm so sad about that. Um, it. This is definitely, as far okay, I do want to get a minute to really highlight, you know, obviously there's 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 several things that are very specific to Alfonso Cuaron as a director. You know, sure. he's really wonderful with world building. He's also like known for being a writer director, you know, and you know, he's really great. So he's really wonderful when it comes to a lot of those storytelling elements. He's not afraid of, you know, going, he, but he also usually likes to go uh, for movies with the sci-fi elements like this, Gravity. Um, so with that being said, I do want to focus uh, a little bit on where this lies in his entire filmography. Right. Now, I do kind of want to remind you guys just a little bit of movies that he was he was old recently. Obviously, he did Aroma. He won some Oscars. No big deal. So few Oscars for that. Gravity. Um, a few. He participated. He got a few. Did a few shorts. Shield of the Men. Um, he did Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which is arguably the best of the entire uh, Harry Potter franchise. Uh, Mama Tambien. Great Expectations from '98. A Little Princess. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Second, uh, second Alfonso Cuarón movie uh, that we cover on here, and another movie from '91, which I cannot pronounce, so that's my bad. But, um, but you know, with that being said, um, where does it, Rob for you? Where does this movie lie amongst his filmography? Is, do you have like a favorite movie in his filmography? Yeah, this one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? Uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, I think, is the best. Harry Potter movie, and I don't mm -hmm. think close. Uh, and I can watch that movie and this movie together and uh, feel two completely different things and to think they were filmed, what was mm -hmm. it, a year apart, two years apart? I think he already, had, yeah, I think he already had the rights to this movie before he did Prisoner about Azkaban. It just took mm -hmm. so long to write the movie, I guess, but. Uh, uh, Makes sense, it's a very complicated story. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. 
Especially when I guess uh, he only read a page of it. He never read the book. That's interesting. Wait, really? Yeah, he never read the book before he did it. Uh, that's why there's things changed, and I'm guessing that's why that he made uh, uh, women infertile instead of men is just mm -hmm. uh, male bias, I suppose. I, I don't see wonder why it makes a difference either way. Wait, do we know it's women or like, or like, wouldn't they just like assume that it's women? Like that the thing is like, I guess I could see it because if you make it the men that are infertile, like it, I don't know, like it becomes more of a thing. If you well, just say like, it's just people become infertile, women can't give birth, but we don't, are they, do they ever say that women are the ones that can't do it? You might be, you know, that might be my bias as well. Because uh, Miriam says that, uh, she didn't see. Uh, she was. She was a. Uh, I don't know. If she was a, a nursemaid or something. She was a nurse, and they stopped coming in with the baby. She started like not being able to schedule the babies coming right. in. Right. Like, the babies hmm. were dying three months in and stuff like that. The they were, they yeah. Is that what happened to his baby? Did it die from that? He died. They said he he died really young. He was like three years old or something. Yeah, the baby just kept dying. Yeah, guys, um, this is like it's a, Weston in the comments saying, I feel like this is slightly less scary than Contagion. Well, Weston reality is slightly less scary than Contagion at this point. They've already, in the Contagion universe timeline, we've already solved COVID. They're done. Like they have a CDC in the fucking Contagion timeline. We are so much worse. <laughs> Girl. Uh, Drew, what about for you? As far as uh, the Afonso Karan, you know, filmography, where does this movie lie for you? I can't watch most of his movies because they make me anxious. He did Gravity, right? Yes. That's a big hot Roma, note. Gravity. That's a big hot note. Mm -mm. And what, sorry, what other ones? Uh, Great Expectations, Imama and Tabian. Um, oh, I like Ditu Mama. Ditu Mama, Tabian. Yes, that one he did. Uh, Great Expectations from 90 to North Gordon Paltrow and Ethan Hawke. Wait, sorry. Uh, no, wait, I know which one's did. my first one. Azkaban is my favorite Harry Potter full stop. So, like, that's my favorite mm -hmm. one of his. Yeah, I definitely feel like this is... I, I feel bad. Like, I've never seen Gravity. So, oh, I don't, can't really... Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> I, 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 I've heard that a lot. <laughs> that response a lot. Um, sorry. Like, I don't know I, how to, like, sorry. I, I, was, I know the movie is like, I know what it's about. I've heard everything about the movie. Well, um, I'm give it five bags of park, popcorn regardless because it's a great movie, but like, don't watch that movie. Like, oh my I, God. Yeah, oh. I, I've heard it's, it, it's, it's pretty much like hey, imagine uh, a suicidal woman. Imagine being in space and not like, like, having a terrible accident and then you're just stuck in space. And I can't, I, you're good. fun with the hyper-realism of this movie. But nope. it's just being stuck in space for like two hours. <laughs> nope, I can't do it. I can't do it. I won't do it, girl. Um, okay, so does this rank, you know, definitely at the top for you, Drew? Or is this like something yeah, like Just, I mean, it's not. It's it's not one of my favorite movies, but I. It's just, yeah, it's just too grim. Like I wish I could get past my own internal biases. This might be one of the first cinema biases where I have to be like, I can't get over it. Like I can't get over my own bias of being like, I don't like. Mm -hmm dour sincere movies everyone in this movie is so sincere like everyone's so serious and like so oh my god like i guess this is the world uh that like it would be like i think i just realized what the michael king thing is he's somebody because they're grown up right they're older like him and his wife they decided mm -hmm. not to have children and now that no one can have children 
Like they've sort of adopted this younger guy who's lost his kid as sort of like their surrogate son. That's what I, I feel like that's what that is. Because once people stop having kids, like the, the people who chose to go childless must have felt like super bad. <laughs> Yikes. They like it. Maybe. Yeah. And they were both very accomplished career people. There's a lot of highlight there's a lot of highlight on her her career as a journalist. I remember that through the trophies and stuff like you know, that. I wanna give this movie all the popcorn bags in the world because like uh sorry, somebody's thing is ringing. Uh because like, yeah, no, it's 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 gorgeously shot, but it's gorgeously shot in a way that makes me very upset. So it's like you know, for Gravity, he did a thing where he had to create like uh, this light box that everyone walked inside of. So instead of, so when you saw like the reflection that the off the helmets, like you were actually seeing them just standing in a room while the lights reflect around them to look like stars on the planet Earth. And like, it's this incredibly intricate device that him and his uh, product, like uh, uh, director of cinematography came up with. Now that's crazy. That's like amazing. And like, that's like Tesla level genius. Sorry? The same thing happened in this movie, in the in the scene where uh, uh, Theo is fighting the, or running to get into the uh, apartment building. I guess a, a, an accidental blood squib went off. Oh, went on so the distracting! So distracting! They were gonna, it would have taken five hours to reset the scene or something like that. And they just said, oh, we'll just keep it. Can I tell you something? I had a, I forgot about that moment. I had a problem with that moment. So, right, so blood splatters and some splatter gets on the camera, but it's done in like, I can't tell how much of this movie is done in one take. And like, but like several sequences seem like they were done in one Wait, take. Say that one was done in one take, I think. It must have been. A little bit of magic in places where they can make a cut. That, that must have been done in one take because. Minutes of staying in that scene. That's, that's, yeah, and it, it's like 1917. We think of that movie as so cool, but like this movie, right? So what happens is someone gets a blood, you know, someone blood splatters, and then it goes on the camera, which I don't like necessarily because what it does is it breaks the fourth wall. We haven't been watching someone like with a documentary crew, so why is the camera in the movie? Like the camera shouldn't exist in the film. We are we are the audience, but the camera lens doesn't exist in this world. To suddenly have it that the camera is like to have blood splatter on the camera is to acknowledge the camera exists. And I felt like that was like a weird moment, but I totally get it. It's one take. You only got so many hours of daylight, you know. But Didn't that happen though? Isn't there a scene in Prisoner mm -hmm. of Azkaban where that happens as well? Where someone gets something on the camera in Azkaban? Really? Yeah, but they do it on purpose. Uh, wasn't it? Oh, I'm, I might be. I might be wrong, but I thought it was uh, when they were showing the Patronus near the end when the um, Dementors were coming out. I was sure that there was something that goes on the camera. Mm. Like I'm gonna like Google it, because uh, I love that movie. Also great uh, Gary Oldman performance. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna find it here. But you guys, how do you think this movie uh, stands up? Like, do you think, or holds up, do you think? I mean, I've, I've given my opinions about- yeah, How did you feel last week? Yeah, I couldn't watch it last week, but like, yeah. What do you guys feel about this movie now versus when you first saw it, Rob or, or Alex, uh, having not seen it? I, I find it much more hopeful now because I'm in a better place now than I was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, I, you know, I, I still love the movie, but I found it uh, dark and sad at the end. 
I can watch it now and find uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what about you, Alex? Um, I feel exact opposite. This movie is so <laughs> I'm very thank you so much for Rob for bringing it to us. I, I could no, it's definitely. It, this is a movie that really just makes me sad actively. And uh, the exact, I understand there's like, I have moments of hope throughout the whole movie, but this is not a movie by any means that I find hopeful. This does not make me excited for the future in any way, shape or form. Um, and it, it doesn't make me hopeful for people or like uh, the, the future of people as we know it either. And you know, the reactions in these situations or anything along those lines. Um, you know, it's, it's, so it, it was a very, it was a very difficult watch for me personally seeing for the first time. Now, I do think that also might be reflective of, you know, my age. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, you know, I'm in a, you know, I've been told like people in their, at, at my age specifically, have been known to have a really, uh, dark outlook <laughs> you know on, on these kind of themes at this point and you know you know and thing is but maybe once i get a little more experience life experience maybe i'll change my mind but it's rough yeah. it, i mean it's good to have experiences like this this is what the show is about is like you know making us watch things outside of our comfort zone uh so I think, yeah, I think that about wraps it up for our, our children of men. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Do we know, we know, we, I think we just decided what we're going to do for, for next week. Um, I want to say this is, this is, we're going to stay away from the pl uh, politics of this movie as much as possible about the person creating it. Um, let's see. Next week's movie is, guys, something I believe Alex hasn't seen because I've certainly seen this movie. Uh, mm -hmm. We are going to be doing Andy Hall. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm really interested to see what Alex thinks of any Woody Allen movies. That's just going to be, I mean, this is the quintessential, this is a quintessential intellectual love movie that like, you know, this is a love story for, oh, for like New York Jews, such as myself. I've never, to be completely honest, it's going to get really weird because I'll give you a hint. My bias going into this is that I'm going to hate it. I've never seen well, a Woody Allen movie that I've liked. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, it's going to be interesting. We'll see. Yeah. We'll that's going to be a really interesting one. Yeah. What? Which one? Which Woody Allen have you um, seen? I've, um, I feel like pull up the list. Like, how many movies has he done? I mean, like, I know he's done like 20 years, 25, 30 years. Um, you know, like 30 years. Uh, give me, give me a hot second. Give me a hot second. Oh, whoopsie. Uh, have you um, seen uh, Magic in the Moonlight? That's a terrible yes. one. Why would you say that yeah, one? That, was, that movie's awful. Oh, I saw Wonder I Wheel. I saw Matchpoint. I actually scratched that. I, I did like Matchpoint. Midnight Paris, I, I liked it okay, but I thought it was... That, that one's fine. Have you, I thought have you seen... Um, Vicky Christina Wait, have um, you seen that? Vicky Christina? Yeah, I have seen that one. Um, really? You didn't like it? There's parts of it that I enjoyed, but there's other parts where I'm like, no. Yeah. That, okay. That. Well, I'm very interested in seeing that. Uh, I'm, Rob, I'm, I'm very black. I'm very black and white, though. We're gonna to save that. this for the for next week's conversation. Uh, but anyway, Rob, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Thank for you. This episode. Um, do you have anything you want to plug or say where you're from before I'd we? Like to, uh, I'll always say that I'm from Winnipeg. I uh, love it. Yes. And you can find me on your Patreon usually in the morning, annoying people with the uh, sound that's been in my head. 
I just want to say a quick uh, hello to Vernon uh, who, from your Patreon, who's getting over COVID-19 right now. I was going to wear a shirt from his uh, favorite hockey team, the Jets, but I didn't. So I'm sorry about that, Vernon. Go Jets. Uh, but that's really the only place you'll find me. I have a Twitter that I barely use except to like things and a Facebook I never visit. Well, it's, it's so easy getting in contact with you. Today, I was like trying to, I was like, is Snark just your user handle? I was like trying to type it in the Twitter thing, being like, at Snark. Uh, you can also find, you can also find Rob, like hanging out with me, like almost every day on my Patreon uh, study sessions, but we'll get to that in a, in a second. Alex, where can we find you? You can find me up there on Twitter, at real underscore Alex Mack. You can also find me co-hosting, actually, uh, uh, the show Mornings with the Outlaw on Fridays at uh, 10.30 Central. We dive into movie news of the week that really kind of catches our fancy. And I host a show with a call to action podcast called Schmobates. It's a Schmodown food debate show. And this for in this Saturday, I'm going to be hosting a Smets Schmobate for the Smashathon. Um, the, and so we're going to be doing a whole 24 hours thing. It's going to be going on for like 35 hours. So heads up, <laughs> drinks, get some Red Bull in you. It's happening. It's going to be a doozy. But yeah, that's some places you can check us out at. I am Video Drew. I am Video Drew. And this is my channel. I am Video Drew. And I love the Dandy Warhols. Wait, that's a good. Wait, Rob, that's your party trick. That's a great little. Oh. Uh, I also love that you don't mention that you're from Guy Madden's hometown of Winnipeg, my Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, so you can find me here, Video yeah, Drew. Guy Madden, that's it. Yeah, Guy Madden, that's it. Uh, but it's it's a great one. That's I'm from Delaware. What we don't really have, we have Joe Biden now, but we don't really have. So, um, Guy Madden these days. Yeah. Um. So I'm at Video Drew across all social. I'll keep it brief. Uh. Mondays and Thursdays, I do video chronic pop culture quiz on this channel right here. Um, I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash video drew, where we do training every day. So you can find Rob doing that. Alex sometimes comes in and does that. We had uh, we had Smets and Parker there recently. We, it's fun because I am training for specific for specifically the undercard match of this live pay-per-view uh, schmodown thing we have going on Friday, me versus Jen Meme Queen Kemp. So that's going to be really exciting. And then, you know, Wildberries, whoever they are. Um, you can also find me here on Tuesdays doing Cinema Bias at 8 p.m. On Sundays, it's Live in the Dark with Video Drew, my NK fave show. We've had some awesome guests on recently. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. Alex, you're going to have to come back on and finish out your fight with the Crow Boy. So uh, I don't even know who this guy is. It's some embarrassing. I mean, half the time you can find him up in the treetops with his, you know, next to Video Drew. Uh, but yeah, guys, uh, there's gonna be a lot of fun stuff coming up. I also just started a new job, so that's exciting. I'm gonna start next week, so I'm very happy. And then also, um, I have a new project in the works, uh, with, with Lon Harris, so you guys can look forward to that, you little nerds, you little ship nerds. Uh, so yeah, guys, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next week. Uh, say good night, Gracie. You gotta say it. You gotta say goodnight. Okay. Goodnight.